0: Of course, we had much to discuss this morning on Halloween. How did it go? How many kids came to see you? Anything fun or exciting happened while you were either A, trick-or-treating, or or B, handing out candy? Also today, a reminder that we're lucky to get to do things like trick-or-treat because we headed to Jerusalem to get the latest on the aid and relief situation, and the situation there is dire. We also learned about the warnings of an aggressive boar in southern Manitoba, a wild boar who's been dubbed by Squeal on Pigs as Al Capork. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 1st podcast for The Start. Hello there, it's Mackling McGarry and McNabb the day after Halloween, and I guess still being tricked, trick or treat, we're being tricked on our weather monitor, but uh, (laughs) Mackling, you said that you don't get a lot of kids out your way, did that hold true?
1: Uh, 39 or 40, I think was the number that we came up with. It's not bad. Yeah, not bad. Uh, it started very slowly, and then it built up uh, as the night went on. I thought that the kids would maybe come just a tiny bit earlier mm-hmm. this year to try and maybe get ahead of the coldest of the cold. Uh, but that's not what happened. Uh, once once darkness fell, then things began to pick up. I was out Uber driving again last night, Loren. I was here, there, and everywhere dropping off, picking up kids. So I was in about three or four different areas just trying to get a sense of you know how many kids were out on the streets and some were very very quiet mm. and then uh other parts of the city uh i was uh, off scotia street it was like a absolute street festival with the number of kids out and about with their with their parents and the and the uh and the yards all decorated and everything so it was a real contrast depending on on where you were there's some neighborhoods kind of go all out and i know Halloween in the past has been a little bit of a neighborhood effort in in your part of the world. Was that the case last night?
2: Well, there's still uh, some of the neighborhoods within our community that that really did it up, but we did not in our little circle do the same thing just because of the weather. Normally, we set up outside and we have big bins of candy and a fire and you know jack o' lanterns and all the rest, and we were going to go for it. And then the temperature just kind of turned us away. And it was the same. I say most years we get you know eighty ninety. 100 kids and last night i think we topped out around 40 maybe 45 so it was half i think overall like there were still a lot of kids out there they just were going for a shorter period of time so instead of maybe hitting like the 10 streets they normally do they did five or six and even my own kids my my youngest was in much earlier than i thought he would be and it was still still nice, but just not as special, I think, for them because of that cool. Like I joked with you guys, I sent you pictures of my youngest and he and his crew, nobody was happy to be putting on their coat. And then I had another kid knock on the door that that is a friend of a friend. And as he was going around with his buddies, he's like, uh, hey, hey, um, can I borrow some mitts? And so I was lending this kid a glass because <laughs> he, he was freezing, you know, like he had prepared with the coat underneath, but that wasn't enough. And it was still a fun night. Like I still enjoyed it overall. Another reflection I had as I was kind of, looking out the window, watching for them to come and go to see who was there, is just how amazing and slowly the cars were going by. And I was kind of worried as I sent my youngest out because he's wearing an all black costume and it's dark and it's icy out there. So I was putting like reflector tape on his bag and on the back of his coat. And everyone was driving so slowly and so respectfully that I I couldn't help but think like, why don't we just do that all the time? Like if it it's not that big a deal to move slowly through your neighborhood took you like an extra 40 seconds to get from one place to the next. And yet we complain all the time about the speed in residential neighborhoods. And we do it okay this one night of the year. So mm -hmm. why can't we do that?
1: I agree with you. You know, I've been an advocate for uh, slowing things down in neighborhoods for a long time we just might see it I was taking the temperature with some friends last night as well Brett you might get a kick out of this uh one of my friends uh was handing out matchbox cars uh as well as candy and uh really yeah (laughs) I, I, I don't know how they got their hands on these things anyway uh this is the note I got the little boy next door was so excited for the car he wanted to go home and play with it we were the first house Really? <laughs> yeah. So his parents thought that was great, and then my friend says there was a little boy. When I gave him his candy, he said, "Can I have some more? You have good candy." He says. <laughs> 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 and apparently his parents were a little bit embarrassed by that. He was a uh, like a three year three year old, and he was just you know honest kids, right?
0: Did you he have, get more? You have
2: good. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Otherwise, you have too much left over, Brad. I by the end of the night had eaten four little bags of those chips, convincing myself that it wasn't really much, but it added up. And I, I just, I, I'd be happy to have. I should have put more candy in the kids' bags.
0: Yeah, the um, well, and talking about honest kids, I remember going trick or treating with some of the the other you know kids on the street, and uh, there's one point where one of the kids had that. He's like, "Can I use your bathroom? I got to go to the bathroom." Just some random person on a street we normally never hit, but uh, he's, they let him in, and really? it was actually, it was a similar night. I remember it being a night like yesterday where it was cold and snowy, and uh, so that that made it worse because the rest of us just had to wait outside the house, standing there freezing while he's in there doing his stuff, but uh, that's funny about the kid asking for the extra candy. That's great. <laughs> So feel free to let us know at 204-780-6868. If you gave out candy, how many kids did you get? Uh, Because sometimes the numbers we get are just stunning. And our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com, is a real horse race. A new study says only 51% of Manitoban households plan to hand out Halloween candy. Will you be handing out candy? And at, at... so far, we got forty nine point seven seven percent who said no, forty eight point four said yes, and uh, one point eight three were undecided. Not of often
1: yesterday. that our question of the day totals mimic almost exactly one of these officially commissioned polls. So that's kind of neat. Number is nope. almost exactly the same. <laughs>
0: It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We want to discuss, in a moment, stereotypes as it pertains to being a Canadian. But before that, we were asking the question, how many kids did you get last night? And the numbers are always a wild variation. Greg, what have we compiled here? Well... Liz says, good morning. We only had about 40
1: kids. Our niece in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, Marblemouth, trying to get that out, had over 600 kids. Wow.
2: That's a lot. Holy <laughs> cow. How do you even prepare for that? That's hundreds of dollars of candy.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And another uh, listener saying, good morning. We are in Crestview. Last couple of years, we've had about 50 kiddos. This year, 30.
2: Yeah, and as you said, the numbers vary. Another one in Sage Creek uh, says they were handing out candy at their son's house. They had 108 people by 7.20 p.m.
0: Adam says 85 kids on our street in Sage Creek last night. Uh, not a bad, I said, you know, that's not a bad turnout. And he says, no, but we were set for 150, so just more leftovers <laughs> from No,
2: look at Jonathan's numbers. They they have 315 kids stop in La Brocrie last night. Jonathan says their block is very popular. And two of the nearby neighbors had over 400 kids. I think that's probably one of those areas where... A lot of communities will, you know, there's a, a block that's deemed sort of the safer one, or it's more fun, or they kind of they set up fences and slow people down, and then it's sort of a better place to take your little ones.
1: I didn't sure. even realize there were that many people living in La brokery. That's, that's that's all the
2: kids. That's, that's huge. huge.
1: Uh, Debbie says I live in EK Monroe and London. I always give out candy and normally get around 140 kids each year. This year I had 82. I heard mm-hmm. that the malls all over the city, had more kids than they could handle. My grandchildren will be happy with what I have left over. My dad texted to say that they had 90 kids or so at his apartment building in Wolseley. And what about Julie, Brat?
0: Julie says, I live on Inkster. Notice this year, not many kids. Hmm. Incidents like last year. Uh, this year, you know... Um, uh, I can't can't quite decipher this. It looks like a voice to text situation, but uh, again, the pointing to a lot of kids going to the mall at Garden City. So, and uh, a lot of community halls hosting events. And Julie says uh, that that's actually a pretty good idea, particularly on a colder night like last night. So it makes sense that the malls were uh, overwhelmed as well because it was not nice yesterday.
1: Yeah, I wonder those community events. You know, uh, Julie says you know, warm, safe, stress free. Uh, not a bad idea, just not what we're used to, right? Not the way we grew up. We we grew up doing the door-to-door thing. Would you be against a community event like that versus the trick-or-treating, Lorraine?
2: I don't know. I kind of think there's something neat about the traversing through the neighbourhood and running into different people and seeing... Sometimes you run into folks you haven't seen in a while or residents that you are like, oh, how have you been? It's been ages. But the mall's neat too for weather reasons and also it's a guarantee. Like, it is a crapshoot. If, if only 50% of people, according to our survey are handing out candy, and that goes for other surveys that were done out in the country, then you are scouring sometimes the street. Like when I looked out in our circle, the, you know, dark out, like lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off. You got little kids. That's a lot of walking around. Part You're, of the rite of passage.
0: <laughs> for, for sure. And continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. How many kids did you get? An email from Scott says uh, one of his neighbors had 464 kids. <laughs> And that was due to the, uh, I guess, the, the, that home or that street was on the, the Facebook group, the Halloween map, wow. uh, which is a popular page. Uh, but let us know what you got, 204-780-6868. But right now we want to talk about things like maple syrup. Many of us love it. Or, you know, that's what people think. We all speak French. We all ice skate, live in igloos. Just some <laughs> of the many stereotypes about Canadians that drive some of us bonkers.
2: So the folks at Preply surveyed Canadians on stereotypes and Americans, and they're a tutoring service that operates all over the world. You might recall just a couple of weeks ago, we had them on to talk about a study that found Winnipeg was one of the fastest talking cities in Canada. Well, this time around, Preply, it asked, you know, well over a thousand Canadians and Americans to weigh in on how we are both viewed. So some of the things they found, the stereotypes, for example, that we're most tired of hearing about in this order are... How Canadians say A, how we all love hockey, and how we all love Tim Hortons, Greg. And I think the A one is the one that probably irks me. Well, yeah, it irks me the most.
1: Oh, yeah. There's always a giggle. I used to do a ton of business in the States. And so you'd be doing a presentation and God forbid you should let an A slip out because all your American counterparts would be pointing it out. A, A. Hey, hey. And everybody would have a good laugh, a good chuckle. Uh, when I'm in the States uh, at bigger stuff, in particular, we were at a wedding a couple of Novembers ago in California. And my friends, uh, friends, relatives all wanted me to say out and about. And they were really disappointed that I didn't say ooh boot the way some people will say it like that uh, Ontario accent. Sometimes it comes out that way or uh, or car. Say car, car. Oh, it's not as exciting when you're not from the Maritimes
0: or Atlantic Canada when you say car. 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 Well, I, mean, I don't know what we're, I would assume New York, but there's a scene in Die Hard where he's like, send in the car. Yeah. Yes. Send in the car. The Boston accent.
2: In Boston, like I, like, I always mix up London and Boston accents, but like four quid with my car. Car is Boston. Oh,
1: you need a, you need an interpreter yeah. when you meet people from Boston and people are are really susceptible to these uh, stereotypes. I think maybe I've told you guys before, my brother, buddy, and I, we went to uh, the States and we made up business cards, snow place, like home, igloo, igloo repair and construction. And we handed those out and <laughs> people bought it hook, line and sinker. Oh, what do you guys do? Oh, we're in uh igloo construction. Really? Yeah. Everybody lives, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) And people, you could just see people's gears going. It was so easy to convince them Mm. that we all lived in igloos.
0: It was, it was like shooting fish in a in a barrel. And the survey also asked us about our perceptions of one another. So, eighty six percent of Americans think Canadians are happier than them. Oh, that's interesting. Nearly three in five Canadians think they are funnier than Americans. And 7 and 10 embrace the idea that we do actually say sorry a lot. Yeah. And one of my buddies, who is a very polite young lad, he does say sorry quite a bit. And he years ago, he went on one of those uh, Contiki tours in mm-hmm. Europe. Just mm-hmm. went by himself. He wanted to tour Europe and uh, do so with a large group. Uh, so he met people from all over the globe. And they were all apparently making fun of him yeah. and to admonishing him to stop saying sorry, to which his response was, I'm sorry, sorry I will stop doing that. <laughs> no,
2: of course. But it, it, like, it's not until you leave and come back that you realize the things that you didn't think you did. Like, I don't say that. And then you get somewhere and you realize you do say it a lot. The sorry thing for sure is a thing. And the fact that we're all recognizing it isn't a surprise. I guess. I, I guess I wonder, do we need to stop it? Because yes. I have, I, yeah, like it, it. Sometimes it comes from a point of it's a uh, clutch. You just throw it out. You don't even mean it. Sometimes. Oh, sorry. It's just it's so habitual. And the other part of me has had that conversation with folks. But when when you say sorry, is it putting you at a point of weakness? Like, oh, you already admitted you were in the wrong.
1: Oh, if somebody bumps into you at the right. bar in a and busy then you place, say sorry, they which bump I do. into you, and then and then you apologize, right. and they're like, to "No them. problem, mate." Oh. You're like,
2: "Wait a minute, you just shoved me, or mm. you didn't open the door for me." I I do think we have to stop that. I wanted to point out, Brett, you know that a stat about how three and five Canadians think they're funnier than Americans, Well, three and five Americans think they're funnier than Canadians. They're <laughs> <so. laughs> so even.
0: It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Halloween candy hangover. Have you ever had one when you were a kid? Did you get home and inhale as much chocolate and lollipops as you could? Or what do you do if you have too much leftover candy? Like Helen says, uh, I live on Leela. I had three youngsters here last night. I was prepared for one hundred.
2: Oh no. Uh
0: so Helen's actually asking where can I donate the goodies? I'll swing by Helen. <laughs> Give me your address. <laughs> uh so we just want to ask you about your Halloween candy hangover. Have you ever had one? And even if you like you, you, like if you're an adult, you know, I I don't hand out candy because I live in an apartment block. Um not to say that apartments don't, but we just it's not something we do in our building. But um You can be be surrounded by Halloween chocolate at work and inhale too much of it. Sarah offered some to (laughs) me. I declined.
2: Only one of you in this room took some. So I'm a little offended. What kind (laughs) is it? It's just plain milk chocolate. Okay. Oh, There's
1: two little tiny
2: chocolates.
1: Yeah. It won't <laughs> kill Making you. It, because it's <laughs> wrapped in orange foil, doesn't make it Halloween candy, Sarah.
2: <laughs> they tried. Yes, they it tried. Does.
0: That's how it works. <laughs> so tell us it about your pumpkin on it Halloween <laughs> it? candy hangover <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a chance to win April wine tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. And by the way, there is a presale for that today starting at 10 a.m. The code is CJOB. So, uh, Sarah, why don't we start with you?
2: Yeah, well, I was trying to get rid of that this morning to get it out of my sight. But uh, back in the day when I would trick-or-treat, um, the first night, like when you got back, you know, my mom would be like, well, you could pick like one or two things to have. That is it. I don't <laughs> want you sick. So I'd pick like a chip and then... Uh, cookies and cream. and Well, maybe maybe it was a chips, a candy, and a chocolate. And then we packed some in our lunches the next day. And uh, I don't remember having a Halloween hangover, but I would always bring the treats I did not like to school and then try and do some trading. Oh, trading. Some trading. I always traded the, like, wagon wheels. Mm. Okay. I don't know. <clears throat> not a fan of those. But. I love wagon wheels. Okay, well, if I had any. Nobody says that. Who <laughs> says that? I just did. I just yeah, did. I heard it, and I don't believe it.
0: Greg's sort of looking a little dumbfounded right now. What
1: what have you got against wagon? Yeah, wheels? I, don't I don't know. know. Let's get Let's, into this. <laughs> I don't Anything know. with Graham
0: Cracker? Uh, hello, sign me up for that. <laughs> I'm definitely Chocolate marshmallow. Definitely pro
1: or anti? I'm totally pro wagon <laughs> wheel.
0: Attaboy. Oh no, yeah, that's right. I'm with you, Sarah. Okay, uh, but I'm more you. of a take it or leave it. Like I won't okay. be I won't be upset if you handed me a wagon wheel, but at the same time, I I won't be upset if I don't eat yes. said wagon wheel. True.
1: So, it almost makes up for your Bon Jovi stats.
0: <laughs> we're, not, we're not. We don't get into that, uh, Loren. What about you? You said you, you had a, probably more chips than you wanted last night.
2: Yeah. Well, I set a bag of the chips aside, like the bag containing twenty bags, because I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give some to the kids, but I might want some left over, which was then the dumbest thing I've done because I had all these chips left over that I was tearing into last night. Yeah. I, what I have is, and this I feel like I should fool my brother every single year on Halloween is Halloween guilt. Because I'm in a family of four, I was the second, and my youngest brother, I, I can remember the he was the last one to get to go to trick-or-treating. Eventually, you sort of phase out of it, so to speak, right? So he brings this candy home, because he, he's still only like 10 or whatever, and nobody touched my candy. And my mom says, no problem, let's go hide it somewhere, nobody will know where it is. So he hides it. And then he tells me where it is, and it's in this ornate little chest by the front door, and I was like, I won't tell anyone, Mike, like, no problem. And I lied. I not only stole candy from him every day, I then told my sister, who then told my brother. And within days of Halloween, he goes to reach into that chest and is, like, devastated that all that was left are those ridiculous molasses molasses candy. Because we had, like, ripped through his stash. So I have Halloween guilt more than anything else. I, I, should, I should text him right now. Maybe a phone call.
0: That's totally fair. I remember we used to have to go through our candy and and bring some to school to donate to UNICEF. And I feel guilty about how angry that used to make me. (laughs) I don't want to get my candy. They can have the molasses ones if you want, but I don't want them to have my Kit Kats. Cam, what about you? Uh, Well, the most
1: exhausting thing about Halloween is uh, carrying around that increasingly heavy
0: pillowcase Mm -hmm. as you raid the neighborhood. (laughs) And... um, you know, one year I, I thought oh, I got this figured out. I'm going to have
1: two pillowcases. Well, then you just have to carry two heavy things around. You're not going <laughs> to abandon it under a tree somewhere. And no a,
2: handles or anything. They're hard to carry,
1: they're terrible. You, you sling it over your back. One You're going to plan your r- root better, man. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I, I guess I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I was what like about eight.
3: you? <laughs> oh, when I was a kid, there was one Halloween where I got so much candy. Uh, me and my friend, we went trick or treating for hours, for hours, and uh, had so much candy that I remember I was stashing it in the back of my closet. And literally months later, months later, I was looking for something in my closet and I found some more candy. It was in the back. <laughs> so I ended up sitting in my closet <laughs> eating candy. <laughs> He's <laughs> months old. Some it was really hard, but uh, most of them were still good, but yeah. Save I, those for Lorraine. Sitting in the closet, just munching away. And Greg? <laughs>
1: uh, I'm, mine, I, more of my kids, you know, <laughs> we tried to limit what they had and very similar to the way your parents did it, yeah. Sarah, on the first night. You know, you don't want your kids to get sick. And so we would stash away the, the plastic pumpkin up in the front closet. And then the the boys had to ask for candy or so we thought. And we did a major clean of one of their rooms <laughs> one spring. And it yes. was like nothing but candy wrappers <laughs> underneath the bed. And it's well, like, I'm not going to out which boy it was, but it was like, how did it, like... Uh, Dad, I just, he just admitted it. He's like, Dad, I just love chocolate bars. (laughs) I can't help myself.
0: 204-780-6868. Tell us about your Halloween candy hangover for a chance to win April wine tickets. And it doesn't have to be something that happened yesterday. It could be something you remember from a kid or maybe you just ate too much of the candy that you were trying to hand out. 204-780-6868. We'll pick a winner at (laughs) 9.15. It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb, the Country Fest code word of the day coming up in two minutes time. But before that, we've had a couple of people ask, look, I've got way too much leftover candy. Where can I donate it? What does Janet say?
1: I used to donate leftover Halloween treats to Ross Brook House on Sherbrooke. The treats were put into goodie bags for the neighborhood kids for special events such as Christmas parties. Mm-hmm have also donated to Silo Mission. Both groups were very appreciative. And Loren, another listener says, donate to St. Amant Centre on River Road, St. Vitale, or Children's Hospital, and the other option, a local food bank. Thank you, listeners.
2: Just give give those organizations a shout first. I think that they have in years past, and you just want to make sure they still want to take that on. I'm sure there's lots of spaces you could get your candy to that, would be very appreciative, particularly because in those food bank situations, I've read all these articles about how people, you know, they donate the pasta or the tuna or the things that, you know, come first come to mind, but those little extras, that can go a long way, particularly if you have kids and, and can't afford to get those extras to them. That's kind of special to do. I think.
0: There you go. Excellent point. And we were asking you as well, how many kids did you get last night? And crazy contrast in Niverville, Reese, Says, first time owning a house in Niverville. Was so excited for Halloween with my little boy. Bought 250 small bars and we had six kids. That's it. So disappointed. But then Chris, also in Niverville, says over 700 kids.
2: Yeah. I know the neighborhood that Chris is in. I'm going to guess I do. And it is, like, it is amazing what they do there. First of all, they have their displays up. Every house seems to get really into it. It's in more of like a a safer space it's like a little i don't know how you call it it's like a little court area cobblestone court and it's like they've got it's just more closed off right so once you're in there as a parent particularly with young kids or if you were letting your kids go out on the own for the first time you'd say absolutely go into that neighborhood i don't know if they block cars but i think they might or stop cars from moving so that it's just sort of a free-for-all of kids and yeah 500 600 kids Hee. Why didn't my kid come home with more candy then? That's my question. <laughs> You're going to have to have a
1: debrief. What was your strategy? Where I did mean, you go? Like how I many times cold, did you go there?
2: But uh, I feel like you could have circled that block a few more times. You know, There's only one full-size chocolate bar in the bag. Come on, man. Do better. Do better. Do better.
0: Uh, so in the meantime, continue to weigh in. Uh, how many kids did you get And We'd love for you to tell us a story about a Halloween candy hangover. For a chance to win April wine tickets. We'll pick a winner for that at 915. But right now, our third Country Fest code word of the day. We're at this time, 720-ish every day. We'll reveal the daily code word, which you then take to CJOB.com. So go to CJOB.com to throw your name in for a chance to win. A pair of three-day general admission weekend passes for Dolphins Country Fest, June twenty eighth to the thirtieth. And today's code word, and again, enter it at CJOB.com. Don't Text it to us. The code word is SONGS. Again, the code word is SONGS, and you enter that at cjob.com. Also, the pre-sale starts this morning at 10 a.m. The code word for that is CJOB. As Israel's war on Hamas rages, aid groups from around the world are working to get needed supplies into the region. And in Gaza, more than 1 million people have fled their homes to the south of the Strip to escape the fighting. Many trying to get to the south part of the Strip, and that number represents half the population. But as we know, for days now, food, water, medical supplies, they're running low. And groups like Doctors Without Borders have said the medical system is on the brink of collapse.
2: So through the Humanitarian Coalition, that is part of a group that organizes efforts here in Canada to relief efforts all over the world. There are groups like the Food Grains Bank, the Mennonite Central Community working together to try and help. Seth Malone is the MCC representative in the region. He joins us now from Jerusalem. Good morning, Seth.
3: Good morning. How are you guys?
2: I'm good, and I want to thank you for taking the time in these difficult and unprecedented times. I know how busy you are, and I can only imagine everything you're going through. And so as we talk about the challenge to get aid into Gaza, we've also been talking about the challenge to get information out. There was another communications blackout Today, with internet and phone service cut for several hours, what are you hearing from your people on the ground in terms of, of the need and what's going on there, Seth?
3: Yeah, we've had uh, really big issues with communication the last several days. Today, we had a blackout as well. Um, it's especially troubling because one of our key partners, they were taking refuge in the Jabalia refugee camp, and there was a huge bombing there this um, yesterday. So we don't know if they're safe. We don't know their status. So we're just waiting anxiously to see how they're doing. Um, they're a key partner, helping us do food distributions, helping families that are affected by the by the recent recent bombardment.
1: Seth, the logistics of delivering this aid is obviously overwhelming to begin with. But when when you dismantle and, and take apart. The communications portion of this, what sort of challenge does does that pose? Because it feels as though there isn't really a a real genuine understanding of even what's getting in to Gaza right now.
3: Well, yeah, there's very little getting in. I mean, we're talking about maybe a dozen trucks a day. Pre-conflict, before this all erupted, there were roughly 400 to 500 trucks a day. So it doesn't try to start cutting it. And when you have the roads destroyed and basically all of North Gaza evacuated, you know, people that are stuck in North Gaza are still not getting the aid they need. You know, so it's, it's a really desperate situation across the strip. Um, and, you know, there's some supplies left on the market. That's what we're trying to use right now. That's what we're buying up. But we face issues there as well. I mean, we were trying to distribute bedding, but we couldn't access the bedding warehouses. They kept getting bombed or the access to them was getting bombed. So, you know, we had a hard time trying to find bedding to distribute to affected families. So luckily we were able to find something. Um, But the situation, it's just dire. I don't know how to describe it. Our partners say it's worse than they've ever, ever experienced, which is saying a lot because Gaza has faced many many previous bombardments in the past.
0: Our guest this morning joins us from Jerusalem. Seth Malone is the representative in the region for the Mennonite Central Committee. And Seth, one of the things you just said a moment ago, just was a real hard dose of perspective, you know, like I think about what are the things that I'm wondering about and anticipating and it's just silly things like what's going to happen on my favorite TV show on Thursday and here you are having to wonder and worry if people you're working with are safe after a bombing. Like how do you how do you keep it together and continue to just push forward to do whatever you can to help with all of
3: these heavy things on your mind? I mean, they're on the ground buying food and distributing it. Like if they're keeping it together, then like I have to, you know, and I have to keep it together for them. So we're all in this together. We're all trying to solve what we can right now, but you know, their their strength and their courage encourages us at our head office in Jerusalem, and it keeps us motivated. You know, we're, we're in this together. We're here to help them as much as possible. That's that's the overriding um, feeling for our office.
2: So as you, as you look to try to get what is needed, is there something that's top of the list? I mean, it feels like the needs are so great. You mentioned bedding. That hadn't crossed my mind. There's water. There's food needs. There's medical supplies. What are you being asked to... You know get to them immediately if there's a priority list and, and how can people help Seth?
3: i mean uh, there's this uh humanitarian emergency appeal which is a great opportunity to long term it's it's a really great opportunity to you know provide resources for a future response at the current moment though you know because water and electricity are cut off you know virtually cut off it's really impossible for people to even get water. Right. And so, you know, we need food, we need water, we need electricity to run the hospitals, run the infant care units. You know, we need medicine as well. I mean, there's, there's limited things that we can do in this moment, but at the end of the day, we need the, the border to be open so that we can get these needed supplies in for, for all the people that are struggling and and trying to survive these, these, this really harsh bombardment that they're, they're experiencing.
1: For those of us who are sitting here, uh, uh, Brett just brought some incredible perspective to this discussion. Those of us that would like to help to make sure that whatever aid can get in does and that, that there's supplies to, to be on the move. How do we get involved? How do we help?
3: Yeah. Uh, Right now, the Canadian government is is doing a match um, so there's a Gaza humanitarian emergency appeal that you can donate to um, This will be a matching contribution with the Canadian government. Um, this is a great opportunity like i said long term response please uh, if you know if you're feeling motivated and led by what you're seeing on the t v like I can't tell you how how dire the needs are so um this is a great opportunity for canadian citizens to to get involved
0: seth malone joining us live from jerusalem he is the representative in the region for the mennonite central committee seth thank you very much for the time sir we appreciate it
3: thank you guys i really appreciated speaking with you
0: it is mackling mcgarry and mcnab Coming up after 9.05, Loren, we are talking wild boars.
2: And one that's uh, essentially on a wanted poster. They're trying to track down. This is the group known as Squill on Pigs. And we've featured them in the past about the idea that there is a wild boar, uh, wild pigs situation in this province. They pose a threat to livestock. They spread disease. And so there's apparently this particularly aggressive wild pig traveling by day that they're asking people to keep an eye out and not approach but try to help them figure out how to uh find this guy or girl i'm not sure because uh, he's he's causing problems and so we're going to get more into this wild pig and and the wild boar situation in manitoba just after nine
0: sorry they're they're called squeal on pigs
2: squeal on pigs they want you to squeal <laughs> on the pigs campaign and uh the coordinator of the program is going to join us it's apparently near Wawanisa okay. area so southwest manitoba hmm. this pig is causing i don't know what it's doing i don't know if it's getting into barns i don't know if it's running around if it's tracking people down i don't know if it's about to turn itself into some sort of main character in a horror film you know i don't know <laughs> but there's a situation and as much as we i laughed seeing this wanted poster for this wild pig this morning it's an issue for as an invasive species so sure. you know there's there's a laugh to be had here i suppose until you come face to face with this sucker and then uh something that needs to be done about it
1: i yeah. never say derogatory things about the stuff we're gonna discuss on our show but this sounds very boring
0: oh hello there and for the i'm not laugh, i'm not mocking the name i, I love get it. It. It, it, it i get it yeah i love that kind of creativity so that's coming up <laughs> at hey, 9- you know Opa. i like
2: it i'm already googling pig puns brett you know that <laughs>
0: She's putting them in the chamber ready to fire at will. So that's at 9.05. But right now, let's talk some hockey because the Winnipeg Jets head back out on the road for three games following a one-game pit stop at Canada Life Centre to face Blake Wheeler and the New York Rangers this past Monday night.
1: Yeah, the Jets have collected points in five straight games, going 3-0-2 in that stretch. Eight points, five games. If you string together more five-game stretches like that, your playoff prospects are actually Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Tomorrow night, the Jets will face the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Gold Knights for the second time already this season. It will also mark the 10th game of the year for Winnipeg. Ken Wiebe of the Winnipeg Free Press is a critical cog in our hockey coverage wheel here at 680 CJOB. Joins us now. Ken, good morning.
4: Yes, good morning. Uh, interesting line of uh, conversation. I don't have any puns to add to Lorenz pile, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for them. I'll, I'll wait for them.
1: Okay. We'll we'll keep we'll keep the door open for you. If they come to mind, just just shout them out, Ken. How many kids <laughs> did you have at your door for uh, Halloween last night? Uh,
4: there were a few in the condo area here. Yeah, not bad. The uh, the, the pile uh, got Got emptied for sure, the candy pile. So nothing, nothing, nothing sticking around here. But uh, like I'm sure the conditions weren't ideal. And uh, you know, it's that time of year. Wish there wasn't a little, wasn't snow on the ground, but uh, lots of costume, lots of costumers uh, buzzing around the neighborhoods. That's for sure.
1: Hard hitting hockey related question here, Weber. Uh What kind of candy was handed out at the condo uh, complex? You know, uh,
4: <laughs> it's funny. Uh, we have we had a. We had the uh, dipped chocolate granola bars, and uh, on the on the what? video of one of the on the one of the. Well, it was late. We're a little bit late to the party here, so I had been on. A, I had been away uh, on the last road trip, so mm. uh, when I was looking for chocolate at the super at the uh, superstore, uh, wasn't a lot left. Most was sold out, and uh, much to the chagrin of one of the children uh, that saw the that saw the bin outside, uh, had had video of it. Uh, people were pumped, ready to fill their bag, and someone someone piped up, oh, they're only granola bars. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, be- the beauty of having the security camera footage. So...
1: All right. Well, that buzzkill aside, 10-game uh, chunks. Covered, chocolate covered. Well, I mean, eh. There's still chocolate. I, mean, I know you're trying to get credit here, Ken, but right. it's not not going to happen. Let's uh, talk some real hockey. Ten-game chunks of the schedule are often points of reflection during the hockey season. What do you like about this Jets team? One-ninth into the season.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the depth is there. I mean, the goaltending is, is coming around for sure. I mean, Connor Hellebuck, a uh, big reason why the Jets have uh, had points in those five games. Uh, Lauren Brusaw, some room for improvement, but I mean, much like the folks going nuts after the first three starts for Hellebuck, I would think that uh, you know, his track record would suggest that he's going to get things turned around. Uh, their depth is obviously there. The, the high-end players are producing, and uh, the complementary scorers have been there out in full force. Especially the Adam Lowry line, which has uh, been you know borderline dominant all the game. The other night wasn't their best, but uh, the road trip games in uh, Montreal and Detroit, they were excellent. So. And Josh Morrissey has uh, basically picked things where he left off as he became a Norris Trophy candidate. So, I mean, those would be the, the first things. And, you know, I mean, the only real area of improvement would be the special teams. Uh, and that's something that the Jets are going to be working hard to get cleaned up here in the in the next, next block of 10, I, I believe.
0: Well, on the subject of those special team struggles, which are continuing in their shootout loss to Montreal on Saturday and overtime loss to the Rangers on Monday... The Jets gave up a power play goal in both games and failed to score on their own power plays to begin both overtime periods. So what's the deal? Yeah, it's a great question.
4: I mean, they're looking to change some personnel as well. I mean, they can't forget that the, the I think the special teams battle was won against Edmonton the Saturday before when they got things turned around. But yeah, overall, I mean, their power play and penalty kill both in the bottom third. And I think the penalty kill is right near the bottom. So, I mean, these are areas that, have to improve quickly. Uh, Cole Perfetti is going to get himself a chance on that first power play unit. And I mean, I think that's a smart call. Uh, Obviously, Nikolai Ehlers is a talented player, but right now the pieces aren't working together and he needs to be the primary shooter. And right now, I mean, Kyle Connor is a primary shooter on the first power play. So uh, I think that will, you know, we'll see where that leads, but I would think that it could help. And I think they just need to be a little crisper and with their reads on both things. When you get a few kills and when you get a power play goal or two, your confidence rises and all of a sudden things are moving along swimmingly. But uh, right now that's an area that needs improvement for sure.
2: So Paul Stastny has decided to hang up his skates, Ken, 17 seasons in the NHL. He had two stints with the Jets. And uh, this stood out for me on Twitter last night when I saw the tweet from The Athletic because he spoke to them about how important and special his time was in Winnipeg. And his quote was, Winnipeg rejuvenated my career. That's the best thing that ever happened to me was probably going to Winnipeg. I'm forever, forever grateful for that. And so I thought that was so great of him to say. But on the flip side, how important was he to the Jets during his time? Yeah, I think
4: one of the more important things, Loren, was uh, it was he was the first kind of uh, you know important player that waived his no trade clause to to come here. Uh, it's something where it was the you know the Jets, you know, fairly or not, sometimes battle that whole people don't want to come here. And Paul came here and helped. Uh, he was an important piece to that you know, team that went to the conference final and a guy who was a played a leadership role when he came back a second time. And I mean for him, he rejuvenated his career. You know, first with playing with Patrick Liney and. He also cashed in i mean he was a guy who you know was not in a diminishing role with the blues but he was probably looking at a pay cut and came to winnipeg had a great playoff and and got himself a raise actually i think so i mean in terms of his importance i mean he was the second line center the jets have been searching for for a long time and he had an important piece uh, both on and off the ice i mean a guy who really loved the game and and had an impact uh, in the community as well i mean i think he was the the first player who actually also enjoyed his thousandth game with Winnipeg as well, even though he spent a lot of time elsewhere, but uh, that was a, that was a cool moment uh, seeing him get the silver stick with his family and uh, know that the Stashley family is, uh, you know, kind of NHL royalty with the way they, uh, his dad and brothers came over. And uh, he's a guy that was always uh, you know pretty smart guy to talk to and have a lot of interest outside hockey as well. So certainly wishing him all the best uh, in the next chapter there.
1: So, Ken, I'm going to take you inside uh, the commute home from school yesterday with my son, Alexander. He's uh, he's pretty good on the hockey stats, and I, I I dig his perspective. So this is sort of a tryout for him here. Uh, he says, Dad, uh, what's going on with Nate Schmidt? He's struggling. And just look down at the moose, Kyle Capobianco. He says, how old do you think Kyle Capobianco is, Dad? And I said, I don't know, 30. He says, only 26, Dad. He's got... He's uh, He's got eight points in six games with the Moose. He says, I, I, I think that uh, they should call him up and let Nate Schmidt sit for a bit. What would you say to that proposal from uh, one Alexander Mackling?
4: Well, I would say Alexander is uh, certainly paying attention to the Moose. Uh, I would say it's a little different game uh, producing at the American Hockey League level, and that's not a slight. Uh, having covered the league for 10 years, uh, there have been a lot of uh, point producers. But, I mean, Kyle did a nice job last year for sure. Uh, Kyle's kind of got to get in line I guess if you will. Uh, Declan Chisholm I think we'd probably get a chance before him but the problem for Chisholm now he hasn't played since the preseason so I mean in that scenario it would be easy if if, if the waivers weren't a factor you could just call Kyle Capabianco up and give him a shot. Uh, certainly a good mobile puck mover but uh, I would say in terms of Nate um, yeah I mean he had a couple of hiccups early on I mean he hadn't played since the first preseason game himself uh, before the Icing in Game One, I would say Nate had a couple of important games where he was pretty good, bouncing back from the healthy scratch. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's he's still getting up to speed. So I mean, uh, he I think he has another level to to get to, and uh, being a veteran player, he's got a little uh, you know little benefit of the doubt maybe from the coaching staff, but uh, sure. I don't think the move is going to be happening quickly, but uh, it's certainly it's important to have guys like Kappa Bianco playing incredibly well with the Moose. And if if they need to go nine deep uh, on the back end, he would be a more than capable guy uh, to get an opportunity. But, uh, I think Chisholm is a guy that's going to get a chance before Kyle, but I love the fact that he is dialed in like that. Greg got some impressive stuff right there. <laughs> all
1: right, appreciate that honest and open critique, uh, and we uh, look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks. And Jets back on the ice tomorrow night in Vegas. Thanks, thanks, Kenny.
4: Always a pleasure. Uh, everyone have a great day here. Thanks hey, for Kenny. Me. Yes.
2: Thanks for hogging all. Th- 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 thanks for hogging the- all the time. We <laughs> abhor you. Does everybody get that one? Adore, a door? A boar? No. Very all good. Right. Very good. There's not I'm a lot of pig puns failing out my there, people. Assignment. <laughs> sorry for failing
4: my last assignment with the jackets. I know you found out the answer on your own, but I'll do better next time, I promise. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Work harder, okay? Smarter and do. harder. Okay.
0: A boar could uh, either be a door or a Oh,
2: see, I never thought of that. There's not, like, I, I couldn't, besides going hog wild or hog wash, I couldn't think of anything. So I Googled, and let me tell you, of all the species of animals out there, the pig puns are. Limited.
0: Interesting. I can't
2: see. Nothing made me laugh. Nothing. Oh,
0: that's disappointing. Okay, we got to find some more pig puns. Before we talk about wild boars, we were talking last half hour about weird things that people got last night that kids got for trick-or-treating like ramen noodles or knockoff Mars bars, and uh, Grant Wingin in, uh, confirming the ramen noodles. We got ramen noodles, too, at one house in Westwood, and it was on purpose.
1: And there was also a house, in Charles would get this, Loren, that was giving kids a choice of candy or a potato.
2: I think I know who did this. I saw them on Twitter last night talking about it. just as a fun gay, because they love the look on the kids' faces, like... <laughs> What? What? Like, I'm your—is this an honest choice? And I was curious. I'm just trying to get her Twitter account up now. To, I was curious if they actually wanted the potato. If anyone actually chose the potato. And speaking of potatoes, um, one of our listeners says their grandkids got hash browns, <laughs> like the dried hash browns from Costco in that container. So that—that that to me, you ran out and you were running to the pantry.
0: Wow! Oh. Just turn off the lights at that point. Then you're not home. So uh, 204-780-6868. Last chance to tell us how Halloween went. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15 and give away some tickets to see April wine coming to Winnipeg in April. By the way, presale for that starts at 10 and the code word is CJOB. But right now, a wanted poster is making the rounds in southwestern Manitoba. But the picture on it is not that of a thief, at least not one in the traditional sense. It is that of a wild boar.
2: So the poster was put out by the folks behind the, quote, squeal on pigs campaign. They're they're trying to track down wild boars, feral pigs in the province. And they're asking Manitobans to be look out for a particular pig that's kind of moving back and forth between Wawanisa and Alexander. Wawanisa is just southeast of Brandon. Uh, Wild pigs can be a big problem for producers, but our next guest is perhaps one who can really answer why. We're pleased to welcome to the start Dr. Wayne Lees, coordinator of the Squeal on Pigs campaign. Good morning, Dr. Lees. Good morning. So before we get into the issue, overall issue of these pigs as an invasive species, what's going on with this particular boar? Why is it a standout for you?
5: Well this one was seen last winter near Alexander and he was seen during the day crossing a road and uh, that's pretty unusual for wild pigs because they normally are fairly reclusive. And then on subsequent trail cameras uh, in that um, 80 or 90 kilometer corridor we've seen him appear numerous times uh, in various spots so this guy is really moving.
1: I'm just looking on the map, and, uh, and you know, i lived lots of years in Brandon, and so I'm familiar with this part of the province, of Dr. Lee's. Yeah, that range between Alexander, just west of Brandon, west of Chemnay, for those that are, you know, geographically literate, and Westman, and Wawanisa. What is that? How far did you say that was?
5: Well, that's. Uh, I just looked at that up this morning, and it's about 70 to 90 kilometers, depending on what road you take. So it's uh, it's a long way.
1: Yeah, no kidding. You've got Highway 10, and, and then obviously you've got some rivers and creeks and streams that uh, separate. And Mawa of course, in the uh, Suras River Valley, they're on the edge of the valley. So just, you know, what do you know about boars and their range? Is this unusual?
5: Well, we know a couple of things that we've learned over the the last year or two is that these large males tend to travel uh by themselves and they have quite an extensive uh home range that they'll go back and forth looking for girlfriends. And the uh the females and the young juveniles tend to stay together in a group uh and and they tend to be more localized. Uh that group we call it a sounder and uh so uh, these males travel back and forth, and uh, the uh, females and the young ones tend to stay together.
0: How many of these wild boars do we think we have in Manitoba?
5: That's a really good question, because it's very hard to estimate. But we know that that uh, spruce woods area south of Brandon is is kind of our hot spot. But we do see sightings from elsewhere around the province. You can actually see a map of where we've had sightings if you go to squealonpigsmb.org. That's our website where people can report or uh, have a look and see where we've seen them.
2: So when we talk about this, if you're listening, you're in Wawanisa, you kind of have spotted maybe this wild boar before. I'm not trying to make light of this, but do you consider them armed and dangerous, like stay away and then call it in? Do you well, try to trap it yourself? Like what's the what's the situation?
5: Well, we do, we don't uh, advise people to approach them because they can really turn and if they feel threatened, they will uh, charge you. So they're, they're nothing to uh, be flippant about. But um, sort of picking up on your theme, we were talking the other day and I heard some banter about, um, you know, maybe this guy deserves a name and uh, I was thinking of underworld characters and maybe Al Capork came to name to my <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh, we need to be best friends. That was excellent. Oh. Well, well, and we
1: also know that Al Capone, you know, Western Canada was sort of a haven in terms of moving alcohol into Chicago. That, that works on a lot of levels, Dr. Lees. I've also heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, like there are a lot of people who don't like to talk about where these boars are because people like to hunt them. Is that yep. accurate?
5: Well, some do. Um, we don't generally advise people to go out hunting just because uh, if you're into a group of them, you'll just scatter them and then it makes it much harder for us to trap them. But uh, in some instances, such as these link- single males, um, if a hunter is uh, out in the field anyway and they happen to see one, uh, we have no issue.
0: And what are, before we let you go, like with this specific boar what are some of its differentiating traits like if i were to look at a wild boar i wouldn't probably be able to tell one from the other
5: well this one's pretty big and um we we do have a couple of on the wanted poster you can see a, a a photo of him and it's um i don't think you would uh forget him let's put it that way if you saw him because he's he's quite large and and uh The other thing is that he's not afraid to be seen in public. You know, he's he's out wandering during the day, and that's pretty unusual for for these wild pigs.
1: We're actually just looking at a video right now from listener Jeff, who sent us a video from just two weeks ago. And this boar is huge. Uh, Jeff says, Buddy and I saw this boar just north of Morden two weeks ago, Pembina Valley area.
5: Well, it may be the same one, but we're on the lookout for uh, Al Capork and his gang. So any any that you see will will certainly follow up. <gasps> they they can really move. It could, yeah. Like
2: yeah. like the speed this thing is going in Jeff's video. I mean, I can't guess, Greg, but it, it's he's fast. Hustling. And, he's hustling them faster than I thought.
5: Yes, they're they're pretty fleet of foot. Uh, they're they're used to living in the bush, so they're they're not uh, they're not slow by any means.
0: Dr. Wayne Lees, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this, sir.
5: No problem. Thank you.
0: Dr. Wayne Lees is the coordinator of the Squeal on Pigs campaign here in Manitoba. It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. We're asking you about... The Halloween hangover, so to speak. How did it go last night? We've got April wine tickets to give away. Just looking at the clock here, Greg, why don't we skip ahead to Peter Soliak, who's in your neck of the woods in NK. We were handing out full-size chocolate bars. Not very expensive when you buy the
1: 88-cent bars at Superstore checkout. That's a good point, Peter. And a bag of chips. Come on. All that and a bag of chips. We did the honor system, put everything on the steps by the door. We had 20 come to the door. 11 were children, Estimate. Uh, Six years plus nine teens, about 13 to 15, confirmed by Dorkam. Exactly 20 bars and 20 bags of chips were taken. Very proud of the honesty Mm. of the individuals in our neighborhood. Cost was less than buying 75 or 100 mini bars and having to eat the balance. There's (laughs) lots of ways to measure economics, right?
2: Uh, both on the scale and in your wallet. That's right. So I like it. Good idea. I might do this next year.
0: And uh, Lorraine Dennis Kay, one of our runners up here, with an interesting tale about raisins.
2: Yeah, for sure. Dennis says, as a type 1 diabetic, hang on. Oh, what? Sorry, as a type 1 diabetic that was diagnosed in 1974, my neighborhood felt that fruit was the best thing for me. One year, I got 43 small box of raisins. Most don't know this, but seeing as how raisins are essentially grapes, they're actually worse for diabetics than actual candy. I was still very much appreciative for the thoughts, thank God. My mom loved to (laughs) bake, says Dennis.
0: Uh, You know what? I didn't mind those little boxes of raisins, but having said that, I'd rather have 43 Kit Kats in my bag than boxes of raisins.
2: (laughs) Oh, I got Kit Kats for you then, my friend. I will bring some
0: huzzah but our winner today is gary Nazer, who says i uh, certainly didn't expect this last night we had about 25 kids but the best line of the night came from a 10 year old and his two buddies they get their candy and the one little guy is walking down the stairs and he says to his friends boy does it ever smell good in this house i said i heard that and i'm making borscht kid then says well no wonder it smells good i'm ukrainian and like from Ukraine. <laughs> oh. And uh, Gary says, I would have emptied my candy bowl on them and fed them some borscht. I never expected a 10-year-old to make a comment like this. But being Ukrainian as well, it was awesome. The little guy recognized and smelled good home cooking.
2: Good on them. Nice. So
0: that's great, Gary. Thank you for sharing that. And it's good to know that this young lad gets to do things like trick or treat with his Yo pals. to that. Yo to that, Brett. So, Gary, congratulations. You're going to April Wine next April. At the Burton Cummings Theater. And in the meantime, pre-sale starts at 10 a.m. The code word is CJOB. Tickets go on sale officially Friday at 10.